if, uh, if, you were, if, you, if you didn't get a bulletin and you'd like one, just raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you if you'd like a bulletin. Hey, Mike's, there in the back, we got people needing bulletins. <laughs> and one's your wife, so you better be careful. Um, all right. So, yeah, please turn in your Bibles. We'll start with that. It's the best way to start off a, a, a church sermon. Uh, to Philemon. To the book of Philemon. If you're new here today, we've been saying each day in this series that it's not Philippians, it is Philemon. So go towards the back to find the book of Hebrews and move back a book and you'll find it. As you're turning there, just a couple other things. We haven't mentioned much uh, publicly over the last number of months about our, our building program, building process that we're in. Part of that's because it was summer and we, we uh, had vacations and things like that, so our, our committee has not met, but please do keep in prayer. We meet tomorrow night with one of the two finalists as far as our architectural firms that we're looking to go with, and we hope to make a decision um, in the next few weeks on which architect we're going to go with. And... Um, We've already contracted a, a civil engineer, and now when we get the architect, that's when things really get real and we start to, to move in, in great ways. So, um, but if we, we need prayer so that we have God's wisdom as we yoke ourselves to uh, the architect and, and the civil engineer over the upcoming, upcoming time. So I think as far as that goes, let me just do some real quick review. We are finishing in the book of Philemon today. And uh, it, is, it is a fitting time to do that, a good time to do that. As we, as we look at this book of Philemon, it, it deals primarily with one dominant theme, and it's the theme of forgiveness, forgiving. And I do know in hearing from so many of you that this is a topic that is a difficult topic. This is a topic that is a hard topic, um, and, and um, that has caused for many of us a lot of prayer and a lot of conversations, and I've heard just some wonderful things that have come out of some of those conversations and those times of those times of prayer. But when we talk about forgiveness, generally speaking, people that have been hurt or people that have wounds of some sort, those wounds um, are dealt with in one of two fashions. The first and most common fashion is through debt collecting. That is, in in the sense of when someone has hurt us, we put them in debtor's prison. And we are set on not releasing them from debtor's prison until they have paid the appropriate price for the wound in which they've caused. Um, some of us, well, all of us in life will have individuals that will go into debtor's prison. Um, for many of us, as I've heard through this, this series, the, the, the comment I've heard specifically by one individual that was, was also um, reiterated by many others is that you know, I, as I think about it, I've forgiven everybody. I don't think there's anybody in my life that I haven't forgiven, but I just can't forgive myself. I have a hard time forgiving myself for something and, or, or a numbers of some things. And so we kind of hold ourselves in this, this like debtor's prison or we hold somebody else in debtor's prison. The unfortunate thing about that is that is um, really a prison in which there is no key unless you, you learn to take the next step, which is the way that God calls us to deal with forgiveness and the way that God calls us to deal with hardships in our lives. And that's not collecting debts, but that's learning instead to, to let go. So we have debt collecting and we have letting, letting go. 
And uh, we're called to let go. This isn't an option for those of us who follow Jesus. This is, this is our call in life is to, to forgive and, and to let go. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, anything against anyone, then you are to forgive them. So letting go. Another way to look at this as far as letting go, and you've got it on the front of your bulletin, is, is like hitting the delete key. If you're at all like me, and hopefully many of you aren't, <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to hitting the delete key, I can maybe do that, but just as quickly as I hit the delete key, modern technology gives you the undo key, the, the control Z key, which undoes the delete that you just did, and it seems like I can forgive someone or I can forgive myself, but just so quickly as I forgive, it's a day or two or a week later, and I thought I've dealt with it, and then I'm finding that I'm still struggling, and I'm, I'm back in that place of the debtor's prison, and, and um, I thought I hit the delete key, and, 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 and that's just a very normal and natural part of the growing in Christ process. It would be beautiful and wonderful if we just hit the delete key one time and we never had to deal with the forgiveness issue ever again. But for, for whatever reason, well, well, because we live in a fallen world, we oftentimes, for many of us, are going to have to learn to continually hit that delete key until the day in which, maybe, hopefully it's not the day in which we die, but it may be the day in which it, it finalizes and we're not in that place of needing, needing to hit the delete key anymore. So, Let's go ahead and pray. We're going to read our text and we'll jump right in here. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church to come together. Uh, we have the opportunity to uh, love one another as we deal with a difficult topic. And I pray for anyone in here specifically that's struggling with, with letting go and forgiving that you, uh, you would give them the strength to do just that and uh, that you would bless them for those steps of obedience. Lord, we realize that uh, no real change takes place in any of our lives unless um, it's you doing the work. And we thank you and ask for your, your help in that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Philemon. We're going to be in verses 17 through verse 25. You can go ahead and follow along. I'm reading out of the ESV version says this, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Archicus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. This whole book is about forgiveness. There is a man named Onesimus. He is a slave to a godly rich man named Philemon. And Onesimus takes up and bolts. He becomes a runaway slave. Our text seems to indicate that this slave Onesimus, when he leaves, he steals something, whether it's money or candlesticks or whatever, and he goes. And he goes to Rome to hopefully hide out amongst the, the vast population there in Rome. But he ends up coming in contact, probably because he's in prison, comes in contact with the Apostle Paul. 
And with that interaction, Onesimus, the runaway slave, becomes a follower of Jesus. He becomes a Christian. Paul begins to raise him up in the Lord. And this issue, if you could just imagine, a conversation comes up and Paul says, well, tell me a little bit of your background. And, and it comes about to where he finally says, oh, I'm from, the, um, from Colossae and um, yeah, I'm a runaway slave. And Paul would probably say, well, I know some people in Colossae. Um, maybe we know some of the same people. And then it turns out, well, the, the, the owner that he ran away from was Philemon, another man in which Paul had led to the Lord at some point earlier. So Paul and Onesimus realized that in order for things to be right and reconciled, Onesimus needs to go back and seek the forgiveness of Philemon. And this letter is put into the hands of Onesimus and Timothy as they carry the letter along with the letter of um, the, the Ephesians and the Colossians as well, carry these back across and Onesimus has to hand this letter to his previous owner and seek restoration. And so we come to the end of this and we've been looking all throughout this series at the nature of a forgiver. What, is it, what are the, the motivations, the actions the characteristics of someone who is a, a, a forgiver. And so with that in mind, we jump right back into this today. And number one in your notes, we find from verses 17 through 19, is a forgiver is someone that is aware of their indebtedness, indebtedness to others. Marshall Adams is one of our elders here. And in talking through this subject of forgiveness with him, um, I didn't tell him I was going to quote him, but um, I wrote down what he said because I think it's so pertinent to our discussion. And, and he said it like this. He says, I can't think of a single wrong done to me that I myself haven't done to the Lord. Forgiveness comes easy when I keep that in mind. That idea... That idea is so common throughout Scripture. Here's a few Scriptures that basically say the same thing. Forgiving each other. We are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive one another. Ephesians says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So it's true that we've covered each week so far of this series that our motivation and one of the key motivations for us to be able to to forgive other people is being able to remember how God has forgiven us. And if he's forgiven us, we also therefore are to forgive other people. But now if we look here at verse 17 through 19, we're seeing that Paul's not so much talking about the same thing about us forgiving because God forgave us, but he is calling Philemon to look at Philemon's own indebtedness to someone else. And it says there, if you consider me your partner, Paul says, if you consider me your partner, receive him, that's Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, put it on my credit card, charge my account. And then verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So if we look a little bit more closely here, especially at verse 19, Paul says, I write this with my own hand. This is his way of saying, normally when I write a letter to a church or to a people, and this is certainly the case with Paul, he would dictate the letter to a, an apprentice or an administrative assistant, but he's, he's pouring out his heart and he's telling Philemon, I'm actually, 
This is my hand, this is my pen, this is my blood, my sweat, my tears, my heart that I'm putting on, on the page for you. And then he goes on to say, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own life. Now, if you happen to use the New American Standard version of your Bible, you'll see most likely that phrase is in parentheses. Um, and it's in parentheses to add um, kind of a subtle, a subtle nuance Um, something that's going on a little bit behind the scenes. It's a parenthetical phrase. Paul here takes on, in verse 18, he takes on himself Onesimus' debt towards Philemon. He does that. And he tells Philemon, cancel Onesimus' debt because I now have paid that debt. But Paul then goes on to say, Philemon, I've canceled Onesimus' debt, but don't forget that you, Philemon, owe me, Paul, a much greater debt than Onesimus owes you. The debt that Onesimus owes you isn't nearly as important as the debt that you, Philemon, owe me, Paul. When we think about our own lives, and I think about um, my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents, I know because they told me, prayed for me nearly every day of their life. When, when that final grandparent passed away, I remember almost tangibly feeling the absence of their love through prayer in my life. Um, that's a debt in which I can never repay. It's a wonderful debt that I have towards them. My parents showed me love. They showed me a loving home. They put me on the narrow path that pointed me towards Jesus. That's a debt in which I owe my parents. My youth pastor, he really taught me to love the Bible. That's a debt in which I'm so grateful for. Uh, I, I have a friend, a guy named Mark Friesen, who called out my sin when I was in high school. He called me out to the carpet, called me on the carpet, or whatever he would say. And, and, and I'm so glad because he called me out at a time in my life that was so important for me to get the lesson that I needed to get. I'm so thankful for him doing that. My wife, who's been the biggest stalwart of forgiveness in my life, having hit the delete key far too many times, far too many times than she should have ever had to have hit it, I am indebted to her. And then my kiddos, who get to see their dad up on stage at the pulpit preaching every week um, in this glowing light, um, they get to see me when the lights aren't on and when I'm in the pit of my life and maybe the smiles aren't so easily coming and they get, well, maybe just sometimes I get a little bit moody, Uh, maybe. But those kids, they love me despite that. They love me to see when the private world doesn't always look like the public world does. Um, I'm indebted to them in a very gospel-oriented, loving way. Now, your list, as I say these things, your list might be longer than mine. It might be shorter than mine. But we are all indebted. We are all indebted to many people in many different ways for the ways in which they've poured into our lives and for the ways in which they have forgiven us and loved us. And Paul here says to Philemon, hey, Phil, Phil, I'm putting Onesimus' debt on my credit card, but don't forget that you 
owe me a debt far greater than the debt that Onesimus owes you because of this. Onesimus, he owes you a debt that is temporary. He owes you a debt that's immaterial. But your debt to me, Philemon, it's eternal. I led you to Christ. I was the one who pointed you to Jesus. And that's a far greater importance than the debt in which Onesimus owes you. So this brings us back to kind of the big question. And, and I forgot to say this in the introduction, but I, I, I pulled a bunch of people this last week and said, okay, we're in the last week of our forgiveness series. And, and with that, is there, is there anything, you know, that we've missed in this series? Is there anything that I've missed in the text and we're not addressing? And, and, um, and one of the comments was, well, just how do you do it? How do you actually do it? And, and so um, that's why we're talking about this idea of coming up and hitting, hitting the delete key. But how do I forgive? How do I hit the delete key? We owe so much to so many different people that we should be quick to forgive others who owe us a debt. We have received so many unpayable spiritual truth and riches from so many people. How cannot... I forgive a temporary debt that someone has against me. We're aware of and remember the indebtedness that we have towards others. We've received so many unpayable spiritual debts and riches for so many people. Of course we can forgive when we think upon the debt in which that we have valuable debts, much more valuable debts that we have towards people that have pointed us towards Jesus. So that's the first way. We as a forgiver, we're aware of our indebtedness to other people. Secondly, as a forgiver, we're, we're aware of their encouragement to others. Or we could put it in, in more of a personal light. Um, as a forgiver, I am aware of how my forgiveness encourages other people. It says there in Philemon 20, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is great what Paul does here, something that um, a lot of people struggle to do. He just says very pointedly, very clearly, very directly, not only what he wants, but what he needs from Philemon. He wants to be encouraged. You got to remember Paul. He, he's a man uh, who was once persecuted. Um, all the Christians killed Christians prior to his coming to know Jesus. And now he is the leading apostle, pastor, teacher, leader of the church. And because of this, Paul is in the trenches. He sees the worst of the worst. And, and more than that, he's in prison at this moment when he's writing this letter. And he therefore is in prison preaching this message of Christ. But point blank, he says, I'm here, I'm stuck, I'm in prison, and I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Please, Refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ by forgiving, by forgiving Onesimus, receiving him back. Now, this word refresh is the word anapao. It refers to resting physically, resting mentally, resting spiritually. The idea here is when a mother gives birth and that baby and that mother are in each other's arms, um, both the, the baby and the mama are and a pa'oin. <laughs> they're, they're resting after a very toilsome season of time. 
They're resting. They're anapaoing. The same word anapao is the, the word that, that Jesus uses in one of my favorite scriptures when I go into seasons of depression and, and am wrestling mentally. And it's from Matthew chapter 11. It says this, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you anapao. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest on a pao for your souls. Paul here, Paul's in prison. Paul is in need of on a pao. He is in need of encouragement, restful encouragement for his soul. So he tells Phil, not only are you indebted me for indebted to me for introducing you to Jesus, but I need to be encouraged by you in my life and my ministry. And the way in which that encouragement comes is by you giving and releasing forgiveness towards Onesimus. He is now your partner in life. He's your partner in ministry. He is your brother in Christ. So again, kind of back to this big question, how? How do we forgive? How do we hit the delete key? Well, you're not only in, in, aware of your indebtedness to, to others, but you're also very aware of how much encouragement and refreshment and anapao in Christ you are. When you do this, you're bringing that rest to other people. And I can just say both personally as your pastor and as your brother and as your your friend that when I see and I experience um, forgiveness taking place between those of you in this room and true, true forgiveness is taking place um, whether it's in this room or not, or maybe it's towards a crummy neighbor or a coworker or a boss, or even more worse than that, a, a, a past abuser, it brings so much joy and encouragement to me personally as your friend and brother, um, as well as to, I'm sure, other people. And it, and it provides a fuel because when we forgive, knowing that this is probably one of the hardest things that we have to do um, in our flesh, physically, but through the power of God's spirit, boy, when that actually happens, it's like super octane fuel in other people's hearts when, when, when that happens, when forgiveness takes place. So thirdly, we're going to move on here. Thirdly, a forgiver isn't only aware of their indebtedness to others and their encouragement to others, but they're also very aware of a word that I really don't like, but the thesaurus doesn't help me with any synonyms. Um, they're very aware of their need for accountability, their need for accountability. <clears throat> Every one of us desperately needs godly accountability in our lives. And um, I, I know that n no one, I, I don't know of a single person that is growing in grace, that's in the sanctification process, that's, that's moving forward in their faith without some form and level of healthy accountability in their lives. Um, just to give you a picture of this, it's been really hard. Um, it's been hard recently. There's been, within the last few months, about five, well, f few months as well as about a year and a half, five of the, the key um, leaders and pastors of the churches in our county, in our area, some of the big, one of the biggest churches, a number of other large churches where, where people have fallen. Um, 
And when you read the story that's been on the front page of the newspaper over and over again, one of those stories will, will say that the, the root problem was that there was no level of accountability at the top. The person can just make any decisions that they want. And, and that's just a really scary, scary thing because we all need accountability in our lives. And, and I can just, to open my soul up here, I'll just tell you all, my world. Right now, there's someone that's sitting amongst you, a secret agent, that has, um, that has an open door to specifically address the question in my heart if there is any um, self-glory that they see in me, any pride or any arrogance, um, or if they just have any Holy Spirit twinge, um, they must bring that to me specifically. And, and uh, just this last week, and sitting down with this person in, in one sentence brought a gentle correction that I had not been able to quite put my finger on myself. And, and I'm so thankful for that godly accountability. And, and that accountability goes beyond just that one individual. Our elders here hold me accountable. I meet twice a month with two pastors, one who's been a pastor 35 years and one who's been a pastor five years. And we ask each other things from our own personal Bible reading to how we're leading with integrity to our physical health to how we're doing with our families and taking time off and all of these different different things. And, and um, there's a lot I could keep on going on the different levels of accountability. But the, but the reality is we have men's breakfast. That's coming up. Nico mentioned that. That's a point of accountability for us as men. Um, Personally, our growth group that Julie and I are a part of, a huge area of accountability specifically for prayer and laughter and time in the Word. It's, it's a really great time. That's, that's just my life. But what about your life? Who are you accountable to in your life? Who is it that, that can speak things into you that would would bring that appropriate level of accountability? Paul here um, says this. He says, um, confident of your obedience, confident, of, I, I write to you knowing that you will be even more than I say. But then here, verse 22, it's great what Paul's doing here. He says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given unto you. I'll be graciously given unto you. The commentator, J.B. Lightfoot, and I left his picture small because he's kind of a creepy looking guy. I could not find a good picture of him, but um, <laughs> he has good things to say. Uh, there is a gentle compulsion in this mention of a personal visit. He's talking about verse 22. He says, there's a, a gentle compulsion in the mention of this personal visit. Paul would be able to see for himself that Philemon had not disappointed his expectations. We, we all need... We all need um, a, a little accountability or a lot of accountability in our lives. It's, it's imperative for our personal growth. And so if you don't have accountability in your life, let me just say this. That is your fault. Is that gentle enough? <laughs> um, because there, there, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of structures within our church, within growth groups, within men's ministries, women's ministries, Bible studies, um, Prayer, there's many structures that are in place where any of us could find accountability. But if there isn't, it's still your responsibility to seek out 
that person that can provide the, the support that you need in the area that you struggle in your weakness. So it's on us. So furthering this third point, Paul goes on in verses 23 through 25 and says this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, our, uh, our, uh, our I practice this a bunch of times, I still can, our, our Articus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. The grace... Um, it's, it's kind of important to note here that Paul concludes a lot of his letters this way, putting people's names down there. Um, and it's common for, for most biblical writers to mention different people in churches. Um, so keeping that in mind and keeping in mind the whole context of, of this book, um, I want to make this final point. A forgiver not only is one who's aware of their indebtedness, they're not only one who understands their forgiveness brings encouragement to other people. They're not only also aware that they need personal accountability, they are also aware of their need for, again, like the last one, for real, true friends or or, or godly friendships in their life. Um, There are so many deficiencies in our world today. There's moral deficiencies, for example, uh, the acceptance Um, uh, and the despicable justifications of abortion. Huge deficiency in our culture. Um, There is deficiencies in our diets because of the way that our food is produced today, not produced in the way that God designed it to produce, and so there's all kinds of dietary deficiencies that wreak havoc on our physical bodies. We have societal deficiencies where there are huge gaps between the rich and the poor, and there's, there's huge um, divisiveness that one group has towards the others. There's these societal deficiencies. Now, as a follower of Jesus, we are called to, to fight against any deficiencies, any injustices. Um, we are never to be indifferent or incompassionate towards any of those things. But those battles that need to be fought, um, if they're fought alone, they're fought in vain. These battles are, are uh, towards these deficiencies must be fought in the context of not having huge relational deficiencies. And I would say this is one of the greatest deficiencies in our culture today is the fact that so many of us sitting here um, and sitting out there um, lack friendships that are edifying to our heart, that bring rest to our soul that build up one another in the Lord and simply put we just need true godly friends in our lives and so when I look at your faces when we pray through the pictorial directory um, this is one of the key prayer requests that comes up over and over and over again key points of prayer is that that God would bring about godly influences in your lives I, I especially pray this for my own kids pray this, that my kids, as they're growing, that God would put other kids in their life, kids who love him, um, that are going to be good influences on him. Um, So important. Kids that will provide accountability, a challenge that they will exhort one another. So let's just real quick look at this list of friends that um, he mentions here as he closes out this letter. And I just want to point out a characteristic from each of these to, to kind of help us define what are some characteristics, biblical characteristics of, of godly, real, true friends and friendships. And the first one he, he mentions here 
is Epaphras. Epaphras, um, Epaphras is known as a, as a prayer warrior. It says this in Ephesians 4. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you might stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Stand firm. Easily put, we all need Epaphrases in our lives. We all need them. And I would say, how is it going to be possible for all of us to have an Epaphras in our life? It's possible if we all are Epaphrases in somebody else's life. If we are committed to being a prayer warrior for someone else, then that's the way that we can make sure that everyone has an Epaphras for someone else in their life. Who is your Epaphras? Who is the person in which you wrestle in prayer for? And who is the person that is wrestling in prayer for you? I can say I know that I would not be um, standing if I didn't have Epaphrases in my life. And um, with the Lord's help, hopefully, I'm able to be an Epaphras for others as well. So Epaphras, he, he wrestled in prayer. One of the characteristics of a true friend is you know they'll pray for you. Secondly, Mark. Mark, this is a guy, John Mark. Um, another one of his nicknames was Calabodactylus, which means stubby finger. We learned this as we stubby, stu, study, as we stubbled, as we studied Mark over the last year or so. But Mark was known for many things, but he was a faithful, faithful man. Second Timothy says, get Mark, bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul is writing this when he's near the end of his life. And when he, he's writing this letter, he's like, I want the people around me that I know are going to to matter and are faithful. And Mark was one of those guys. He was faithful. Much could be said about this guy, but he was definitely a faithful man. And first and foremost, when we talk about having faithful friends, uh, one of the ways that those friends are faithful is that they're first and foremost, they're faithful to Christ. They're faithful in their walk with Christ. There's a lot of faithful friends that wouldn't be characterized as, as godly friends. They might be there, but they're not giving you the type of faithfulness and encouragement that points you to Jesus. They might just be pointing you to pop psychology. So that's one. But also just faithful friendships. It's interesting, um, talking about faithfulness, this guy, Mark, um, at, towards the end of his life, he was one of the leaders in the church, and he went to Egypt, which is where he was from. And he wanted to take the gospel of Christ back to his roots. And he did this, and he helped establish the church there. But the culture didn't like it. And the very people he went back to save took him and burnt him alive. Um, but he faithfully took the message to them. He was a faithful man. Thirdly, Archicus. <laughs> Loyalty. So the city was filled with confusion. This is Acts 19. The city was filled with confusion. This was a time of riot. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius, Archicus, and Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. 
Simply put, real friends, biblical friends, are those that are going to show up when others aren't going to show up. Those that are willing to get down, to get dirty with you. Those that, when you go through the hardest times of your life, are there to bring support. Hopefully, maybe sometimes they don't even have anything to say, but they bring a great deal of, of encouragement just by their presence, and they're willing to get down and get dirty. Loyalty. Next one here, Demas, lover of God's word and God's will. Here with Demas, we actually have a negative example of someone, or more like Demas turned out to be a fake friend. He was around for the good times, but when things got tough, he turned and he split. So we don't know a whole lot about him. What we do know is that sometime after Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, Demas bailed. It says in 2 Timothy 4.10, and it tells us why he bailed. He bailed because of his love for the world, and he deserted me, Paul says. Super huge, I think, especially if you are, if you're in middle school, high school, college, this applies to all of us, but if you're in those age range, it's so imperative, it's so very very important to have friends who are going to stick around with you till the end. Um, to have friends, and specifically friends, that, that love God and they love God's ways, God's will, God's word. There are so few people today that are lovers of the things of God. There's no shortage of people that are totally fine with blasting themselves out in social media. But there are so few that are willing to take on the characteristics of Christ, to, to seep in the truth of his word, and to be living examples of the nature and the person of Christ in this world. Those that are just faithful, those who have fidelity to things of the Lord above the things of this world. I'm excited. Pastor Joe is going to be, he's actually going to be here in a two weeks to visit for a weekend but then he, he and Tracy and the kids they get here January 1 and he's so excited he's he's planning on preaching and or teaching and taking all of the students through the book of first John and first John is such a great book um, for so many ways but this is uh, a passage that kind of flies in the face of if Demas would have memorized this, he might not have bailed. But it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of this life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And then finally, the last one here is Luke. Luke, simply put, was a truth teller. He was a doctor. He was a logical thinker. And he penned the gospel of Luke in his day to silence the critics and to give a logical account of the person of Christ. And he's also silencing critics even to this day through the writing of that letter. He is a truth teller and every single one of us need truth tellers in our life, those that will see the chinks in our armor and um, help, help us to repair those things, that will point those things out in a loving way. Now, this kind of brings us all back. We talked just generically about friendship for a moment there, but it brings us back to the big picture of forgiveness, the big picture of forgiveness that we see in this book. And these five men, they're all well known to Philemon. And 
Philemon had this opportunity to set as a good example for each of these men what it means to forgive by forgiving Onesimus. On the other hand, had he failed to do this, had he failed to do this, uh, it would most likely fracture the bond of fellowship that all of these guys had and that they enjoyed with this man, Philemon. In conclusion, in conclusion of this book, this awesome little postcard that deals with the topic of forgiveness, it leads us to ask the, the one big question, did Philemon actually follow through and forgive Onesimus? Did he do it? Well, I can say this for sure. We don't know for sure. But I think there are two strong, and theologians have many more than these two, but I think there's two strong evidences that Philemon actually did honor Paul's words and forgive and receive back Onesimus. The first one is just simply the fact that as you sit there and you are looking at this page or this screen with this text is a pretty good indicator that he actually did forgive Onesimus. Because you see, if you go back to the beginning of the book, as with most all letters that Paul wrote, he would write these letters, but they oftentimes were meant for the purpose of reading to more than just one person. They were oftentimes meant to be read in context of a, a local church, in this sense, the church of Colossae. And so the fact that you still have, and I still have in my Bible, this book of Philemon goes to show that, you know, had Philemon tanked it here and not forgiven Onesimus, it probably wouldn't have been passed along. It probably would have been a black eye and probably wouldn't made the pages of our Bibles. So that's one speculation. The second thing, and, and this is just such an awesome, awesome picture from church history. Um, there was a godly guy, his name was Ignatius. So he is a former associate of the Apostle John. And he became the senior pastor of the church in Antioch, a pretty big church. Um, after about 50 books after, or 50 years after this book of Philemon was written, Ignatius, he was um, arrested, and he was arrested and being shipped from Antioch to Rome. The reason he was being shipped there is he was being sent as a gift from one governor to the tyrant ruler Trajan in Rome. He was being sent as a gift to be fed to the lions as sport in front of everybody. So here's Ignatius. He's being drug across the country going from Antioch to Rome to be put to his death. But they have to, they have to stop the, the, the soldiers and the crew about halfway. And they stop in this little town called Smyrna. And they're going to be there a couple days while they resupply and, and get their anapao, their rest on. And as they're sitting there, um, some of the fellow churches in that region hear that Ignatius, one of our beloved brothers in Christ, is, is there. And so these churches send, um, four churches send representatives from their churches, their, their leaders or their pastors from these churches to go visit um, who visits Ignatius while he's stuck in prison. What's interesting, these four cities, Smyrna, Magnesia, Trales, and Ephesus, and I won't give you the names of all of the men that were sent, 
But the one that is most pertinent to us, pertinent to us, is the pastor that was sent from the church in Ephesus. And this pastor's name was Onesimus. Now this is about 40 to 45, maybe 50 years after the book of Philemon was written. But church history and church historians say that the Onesimus that was the pastor at the church of Ephesus, which was a major player in the Christian church, is the same Onesimus that one day was a slave and ran away from his owner, found himself in prison, comes to know Christ through Paul's ministry, goes back with this little letter to Philemon. And if this church historical event is true, that means that Philemon received him back, forgave him, trained him up in the church, and here some 50 years later, while Philemon is certainly gone by this point in time, Onesimus, once a slave, is now the leader of the church in Ephesus. Such an awesome ending to a beautiful letter. Forgiveness is by far one of the most powerful, powerful tools that any of us will ever wield in this life. Not only is Philemon called to forgive, Onesimus for that matter as well, but we all are called to this place of of constantly hitting the delete key as much as we need to, and hopefully we don't need to hit it as often as, as as we once did. But forgiveness... It's, it's something that I really hope that we all can learn to walk in uh, as a church. And um, it's something that is so key and central to the heart of our Father. So with that, let's, let's close in prayer as we close out this book. I'll have the worship team come back up. 